We apologise for the poor quality of this recording, which is due to technical reasons beyond our control. Filters have been used to make the first part of the talk clearer, but you will still notice some distortion. Let's just pray, shall we, for a moment. Lord of my life today, teach me to live and pray as one who knows the joy of sins forgiven. Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning that through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, that our sins can be forgiven. Father, we thank you and we praise you that we can bow before you, that we have access into your very presence. And Father, we pray now that you might draw near to us, bless us with a sense of your presence as we continue in our weekend together, as we hear reports of the work that's gone on over the summer around different places. And then, Father, later on, as we hear your word, we pray that you might speak to our hearts and bless us, each one here. Not because we deserve it, but because we come in the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, through whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Make him request if, by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Here I stand between you and lunch, but our subject is an important one. Confidence in the gospel. Thank God, under the hand of God, I've learned a lot through UBM and YL about the communication of the gospel. But this morning we're 
thinking about the content of the gospel. And there's one particular verse I want to speak to you from, because our subject is a large subject and I want to condense it to this one verse. So you need to turn to 1 John, 1 John, chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 John, chapter 4 and verse 10, where we have these wonderful words of the Apostle John. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. I believe this verse goes right to the very heart of the gospel we preach. When John wrote his epistle, it was in a day when the person of Christ was being undermined. It was a day when the authority of the apostles was being despised. It was a day when conversion was being belittled. Now our gospel, without an inspired, inerrant scripture, is not a gospel at all. Our gospel without a mighty Christ, who is fully God and yet fully man, and without his powerful atoning work, we haven't a gospel at all. And without the miracle of the new birth, we haven't a gospel at all. As Trevor rightly has taught us already this morning, every word of the Bible matters. Can I just say as we home in on this particular verse, every word of this verse matters. It's come from the very heart of God. I'll read it once again to you. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Surprise, surprise, I've got three points. Point number one. This verse speaks of an extraordinary love. An extraordinary love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. God loved those who did not love him. Or as that lovely hymn puts it, love to the loveless shown. Everyone, this verse teaches, outside of Christ, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, do not naturally Love God. Now think with me for a few moments about the condition of the unconverted. Think about when you were unconverted. This verse is telling us there was a time when we did not love God. What do the unconverted love? Well, of course, the Bible gives us that answer, doesn't it? In John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 19, it says this, that they love darkness rather than light 
because their deeds are evil. Now we all know, we've had some great times on the beaches, in the open air this year, but aren't people hard? It's hard out there, isn't it? In Edinburgh there was a man who had put up his tightrope walk between two lampposts and there he was on his tightrope playing a violin. He had a huge crowd! But they walked past the open air as though we weren't there. It seemed that every fibre in their body was fighting against, we're not going to listen. Why? Because they love not God. They love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Of course, if we were to think about other verses in Scripture, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 verse 2, it says, they are lovers of their own selves. Their selves is their God. And of course, it goes on in Timothy as well, in that same chapter. They lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we see man in his fallen condition. And this is where we begin, do we not, with the gospel. We have to see man as in his fallen condition, as he is. The Bible teaches that his mind is darkened. Why is there so many religions in this world? Are they all trying to get to God? Are they superior? No. The reason why there are so many religions in our world is because it shows that man is a lost creature. He's trying to find God and without special revelation he can never find God. The reason why there is so many religions is because man is lost, is separated from God. His mind is darkened concerning the things of God. But not only is his mind darkened, his will is distorted. Why do so many bad things happen in society? Why are men and women's wills so distorted? It's because they are fallen creatures. And why is the heart of man so deceitful? So many live on their dreams, on their expectancies, their fantasies. Why is the heart deceitful? Because man is a fallen creature. A man lives in a sin-cursed world. Wayne Sutton, the pastor at Edinburgh, when he goes and picks up his kids from school, some of the folks say, how are you doing, Wayne? And Wayne replies, he says, well, not bad, considering I live in a sin-cursed world. How are you doing? (laughs) And he goes on and makes it a gospel opportunity. But we do live in a sin-cursed world. There is sorrow, there is sadness, there is grief, there are graveyards, there are wars, and there are environment disasters. Whether it's a tsunami or a hurricane, man all around him sees what sin has brought into the world. But it's more than this. Man is full of unbelief. He loves not God, he loves his unbelief. The Bible says this about man. John's Gospel again, chapter 3, verse 36. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Man is a condemned creature. My son was playing in a London park 
These students got all the time in the world, really, haven't they? With his frisbee, with his mates. And, of course, sometimes these frisbees, as they do, uh, go a bit out of control. So it went over onto a pathway, and there was a fella and a girl walking along. So the girl thought she'd uh, do them a favour and throw it back to them. Guess what happened? Well, it went up in the air, and it landed up in a tree. Now, you would have thought the fella, the boyfriend of the girl, would have said, don't worry, dear, I'll go and get it up the tomb. But no, the next thing that's happened, the fella was giving the girl a leg up into the tree. <laughs> and there was the girl, perched precariously on this branch, and trying to reach out for the frisbee. You all know what happened, don't you? Crack! The branch, the girl, came down. Let's get back to the condition of the unconverted. What is their condition? At any moment, the next heartbeat, the next breath, the Bible teaches they can go down into an eternal hell. That is the condition of the unconverted. And here John is saying to the converted, there was a time when we loved not God. And it's nothing to do with us, but he loved us. And he has brought us to himself. And he has transformed us. He has forgiven us. And he's made us a child of God. And we are a privileged people. But we always have to remember, Christian, what our condition once was. We were in sin. We were fallen. We were bound for a Christless eternity. But the wonder is there is good news. And it is found in the Gospel. And the Christian can say, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. So it's an extraordinary love. Do you meditate upon that, Christian? Do you think, it wasn't you, it was God. What an extraordinary love that he should love me with all my rebellion and all my sin and all my waywardness, belonging to a fallen race bound for hell. But he loved me. What an extraordinary love. Now, the second observation I want to make from this verse is this. That this verse gives us an explanation of that love. An explanation of that love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he goes on to the explanation. And sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, can I first and foremost say, I am glad Beach Missions is not in this sort of evangelism going up to people and saying, God loves you, full stop, goodbye. That is not evangelism. John here has an explanation of the Gospel and just looking around, I thank you, God, that we have fellowship with those who laboured hard and long to be able to explain the gospel we love, 
to preach in a way which communicates the great truths and doctrines of the gospel. And we praise God for that. And John is explaining in this verse one of the great truths of the gospel is going right to the heart of the gospel itself. He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, on first observation, when you look at this verse, you say, well, this verse is talking about the love of God. But it's talking more than just about the love of God. It is also talking about the wrath of God. Now, of course, the modernists, the liberal, they love it. Oh, the love of God, the love of God. And it's like jelly, you can mould it and shape it any way you like. But when we come to our gospel, the gospel we want to preach, we have to remember that there is a God in heaven who is angry with sinners. Now, this word propitiation, because I knew you'd ask, is a big word. Some have left it out. Some have changed it. And generally those who leave it out and those who change it, somewhere along the road, sooner or later, perhaps in another generation, begin to have a wrong view of God and certainly a distorted view of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this word propitiation, if you're making notes, it's found in chapter 3 of the book of Romans, verse 25, where it says there how God has declared, he has set forth his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. That was the great purpose of Christ coming into this world. It's found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, where the apostle is saying, look, We've got a great saviour now, he's at God's right hand, all because he was a propitiation for our sins. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, one of the thoughts behind this verse is, is this, there is no other place in this world of propitiation, there is only one place only. Even all the ungodly in hell cannot propitiate for their sins. Only Christ, and Christ has done it sufficiently. And then, of course, it's found in our verse where it's full of where this propitiation has come from. It's come from the very heart of God. God's love has made this all happen. Now, there are just two things I want to say about propitiation. There's several other things we could say, but just for the sake of time, just two things. And if you can grasp them, it will help you in your communication an explanation of the gospel. One, propitiation is required because of the very character of God. We need, I think, perhaps one or two more sermons about the very character of God. Because as so often we go wrong here. We do not see him in his full glory and all his wonderful attributes. But here in this text, we're talking about the love of God. But this aspect of propitiation brings in another part of God. To remind us, yes, God is love, but his love is holy. His love is pure. His love demands justice. And that is why he must punish sin. It seems to be very popular today to dismiss the the Ten Commandments. 
But do you know something? The Ten Commandments not only reveal to us our sin, but the Ten Commandments reveal to us the very morality of God. You see, think about some of the Gospel words. Justice, judge, righteousness, punishment. God is a moral God. And those Ten Commandments not only show man his sin, but they reflect what God is like. You see, we see his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his goodness, his care for man to give an ordered way of life. He is a giver. He is full of truth. And those Ten Commandments reveal his morality. But directly we break his law. His justice has to come into play. And that's why he must punish sin. Jonathan Edwards, who lived 200 or so years ago, preached a famous sermon. God mightily used it at that particular time. You can still read the sermon today. But it was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. We read from Romans, didn't we? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and and unrighteousness of man. And we've lost this aspect of our preaching. We teach us sometimes as though God is a, a nice old man, so benevolent to each and every one of us, and sin doesn't mean much to him. But that is not our gospel. Our gospel is that when we offend him, the Bible says he is angry with the wicked every day. There is a gospel today, and it's all about felt needs. Got a problem in your marriage? Got a problem in your career? Problem in the family? Difficulties in society? Well, Jesus Christ can meet those needs. Well, we believe that, don't we? But those felt needs are not man's deepest need. Men and women's deepest need is this, that they have offended a holy and a just God. And there is a day of wrath coming, and they need to be ready and they need to flee to Jesus alone for refuge. So the first thing I want to say about this word propitiation is that it reveals the very character of God. The second thing I want to say is this. Propitiation is is only accomplished by the death of Christ. Now the word propitiation means to be appeased. Perhaps the old illustration, the husband has forgotten things at home. He's done everything he shouldn't have done. And he's offended his wife. And his wife is cross. And she is very cross. And uh, in fact, the, the husband needs to get out of the way for a little while. So, he devises a plan. I'll buy her a gift to appease her wrath. So, he goes and buys a box of chocolates or a bunch of flowers and comes back and says, Sorry, dear. And he hopes the gift will do it. Now, that is a poor illustration, but that is the thought behind appeasement. Then, propitiation. That God's wrath needs to be appeased. And there is only one who can do that. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. John MacArthur, 
in one of his sermons, he said this to his congregation. He said, for whom did Christ die? Everyone was on the edge of their chairs. John MacArthur went on to say this. He said, well, the Christian can say, he died for me. And we always think of salvation from the, the man, what we get from it. But John MacArthur went on to say, hang on a moment. He not only died for you, but he died for God. He appeased the wrath of an almighty God who was angry with sinners. Now there's a lovely verse in Isaiah which sums this thought up. It says this, chapter 53, verse 11, it says, He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. God Almighty saw what his son accomplished on the cross by offering up a pure perfect, righteous life. You know something, Christ lived about 33 years in this world just to get up enough age to go to the cross. Those 33 years in childhood, in teenage years, in early 20s, were full of righteousness and purity without sin. And he offered up himself at the cross a perfect, pure sacrifice which was acceptable to God which appeased the wrath of God and paid for the sin of sin. This is a tremendous truth of what our gospel is all about. God can remain just because he looks at Christ and also he can be the justifier of the ungodly because of what Christ has done. Fred Wood, in one of his, Fred Wood was one of the founders of Wire. He uh, wrote on a blackboard once to a congregation, God does not forgive sin. The congregation was horrified. God does not forgive sin. Well, he had it in his mind. He wanted to make a point. And then he wrote under it, he punishes it. And forgiveness is on the, pl- uh, uh, on the purpose that sin has been punished and forgiveness comes because of what Christ has done. Now, think of that beach work. Think of this. We're going down to the beach. Bit of a wet day, but we'll go down to the beach. We'll tell the story of Jonah. And there's Jonah. And we all like an action-packed story of Jonah. And Jonah, here's the word of God. I'm not going to do that. And he runs. He gets on his boat. There's a storm. And everyone likes this, but let's throw him overboard. And over he goes. Gurgle, 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 into the belly of the whale. And there Jonah hangs it out. Day one goes. Day two goes. Day three. And then Jonah prays. The whale spits him out. And he goes on his way to Nineveh. Boys and girls, he's forgiven. He said sorry. Hang on a moment, folk. We can't leave it there. Why is he forgiven? Why is he restored? The secret is in his prayer. Remember what he said in his prayer? Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. And there Jonah 
Or in that very dark, horrible place, by faith, he looked to God's holy temple. He thought of Jerusalem because that's where God met with sinners. That's where God's presence was. And he thought of him as a a man going to the place of sacrifice, holding a little live lamb with his heart beating. And there he was, sorry for his sin, but he knew that God demanded a sacrifice. He knew that God's wrath had to be satisfied in order that he might be forgiven. And there he is clutching his little lamb. And as he comes to that altar, the knife of the priest goes in the little lamb. And Jonah feels death. And Jonah thinks of the blood. And he knows that's what God requires for his wrath to be satisfied. And folk, we could say, not a little lamb, but oh, the mighty Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, in all his glorious person, he offered up a perfect sacrifice, a complete sacrifice, whereby he cried, it is finished, I've done it, there's nothing else to do. I've paid the price. The Father's wrath is satisfied and the sinner can be forgiven. And the blood has flowed in order that there might be forgiveness. And can we just say, the resurrection proves it. God's wrath satisfied. An explanation of the love of God. Now there's one last thing I want to say. In this is the love of God. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. I finally want to talk to you about the extent of God's love. The extent of God's love. Now I'm a bit of a practical man and sometimes I have to go to measure things. And there's nothing more frustrating when your rule is not long enough. Well, the Apostle Paul had that problem. He wanted to measure the love of God. He thought of the width, and he couldn't measure it. He thought of the length, he thought of the height, he thought of the depth, and he just could not measure the love of God. And here in this verse, we see the extent of God's love. Now, at Edinburgh, not this year, but the year before, I got in a bit of trouble. We had to put the, the dustbin bags out on the street, but we'd forgotten that the laws had changed. Now, I don't want to spoil dinner, but we all know we have rubbish bins in our kitchens. And in that rubbish bin, well, I know an envelope went in with my name on Coa 65, Hyde Street, Edinburgh, went into it. So did all the remains of the dinner go into that bin. Now, we put those bins, uh, uh, the plastic bags, outside. We didn't know that the environment officers were going to be walking down the street that afternoon. Aha! They must have said, who has done this? Well, there's only one way to find out. And that's to open the bag and to delve into it. Out they got now. The state of the letter, that the envelope was in a bit of a state, so I don't know what sort of state they got into. But in order to accuse me, they went to that extent 
to reaching into the mire, as it were, to get the letter to get their man. Now that's a bit of a poor illustration. But you will think of what Christ did for your salvation. Notice the movements in this verse. Notice it says, he sent his son. When did he decide to send his son? Was it when he saw a word that was out of control because of sin? No. The Bible says that even before Adam and Eve were in our world, ever before the world was, God sent, or agreed, to send his son into this world. What an amazing love. To what extent God was prepared to go. I know Vinnie is very good at this. He says in the open, Come on, you atheists! I've got something to say to you! Come on, you atheists! Well, I'm not as good as him. But I've got a little picture where it says, Are you good enough for heaven? And I say, You religious amongst us, if your religion doesn't make you good enough for heaven, change your religion. And I've got a good one here to recommend. Look at the extent of God's love. He sent his son. Notice, not only where he sent his son, but where did his son come? He came into a sinful, rebellious world. With all its rebellion, its sin, its mire. And look how they treated Christ. They spat at him, they mocked him, they jeered him. They belittled him. It says... His Son, the eternal Son of God, the one who is the second person of the Trinity. It was He who came for you. He was one who enjoyed the glory and splendour of heaven, but He was one who came something it was not before. And He came to a world, He became a man. And he lived amongst us. And why did he come? Well, this verse tells us most clearly. He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Some of you, when you were kids, perhaps you got in trouble with mum. Mum had said, you wait till dad comes home. And you hid and you didn't want to see Dad. You kept out the way, didn't you? Hang on a moment. Why did the eternal Son of God come? And why did he come willingly and voluntarily? He came to endure the Father's wrath at the cross of Calvary. And he shrinked not back, but willingly went to the cross for sinners. My time's almost gone, but there's one last little thought. It says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Think of your sins.
Think of your sins in the home. Think of your sins at college, university, school. Think of your sins that no one else in this world knows about. Think of your sins on a beach mission team, in your church. Think of your sins. Oh, Jesus left heaven, endured the wrath of God in order that you might be forgiven of your sins. We see something of this extraordinary love, an explanation of this love, the extent of this love. I'll finish with these words of Wesley. The Lord in the day of his anger did lay our sins on the Lamb and he bore them away. He died to atone for sins not his own. The Father is punished for us, his dear Son. Love moved him to die and on this we rely. Our Jesus has loved us, we cannot tell why, but this we can tell, that he loved us so well as to lay